Take your seats as you high-five your neighbors. You tell them, hey, you picked a good night to come to church. Amen. You say, every time I come to church, it's a good night to come to church. Come on. It's so good to have you here tonight as we finish the last night of our series, Jesus Drops the Mic. We've been looking at the life-changing, kind of mind-blowing statements that Jesus made, things that were sometimes difficult to understand. And and honestly, there have been very challenging statements. But I think that that's good for us to be challenged because when you're challenged, you can change. And when you change, you can grow. And that's what God wants for us. This is the last night. I know some of you are like, oh, thank God. Because it's been a lot. It's been a lot to take in. Next week, we're starting a new series going through the book of Galatians, one of just my my favorite books of the Bible. And we'll be talking about the freedom we have in Christ, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? How many of you in the room would say, I'm a peacemaker? I'm the person that just wants everyone to get along. You know, some of you say, I'm a peacemaker. I, I, my little brother, Kyle, he is a couple years younger than me. He just got back to Arizona after six years of active duty, military service, captain in the Army. He is the man. He was a notorious peacemaker growing up. So we would say, Kyle is the peacemaker. Ryan was the destroyer of worlds. Some of you are more like me. You'd say, I'm more like a bull in the china shop. You know, if you mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns. How many of you even say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, if I'm being honest? Like, I just, I just really have a hard time with conflict. I, I want to make people happy. My wife talked about that last week. That's something that she struggled with. So tonight's going to be helpful for you. I think it's going to be challenging for some of us. Go to Matthew chapter 10, if you have your Bible. If you have a Bible app or whatever, you can open it up and just hang out in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, don't imagine, in verse 34, that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. That's, that's kind of an intense statement, right? I'm going to talk to you tonight about sword bringers and people pleasers. If you're taking notes, sword bringers and people pleasers. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We know that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it pierces in our hearts, God, and you use your word to change us. You reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, 6 p.m., everybody said, you're excited to be here tonight. I can feel it. Christianity is notoriously a religion of peace. We want people to experience peace. In in fact, depending on what kind of church background you grew up in, maybe you went to church and said to one another, peace be with you and also with you or unto you, depending on how, how old school you are. Jesus came with the title, the Prince of Peace. But here he's saying, not in the way you think. He said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And I think when he said that, Peter, the disciple, my favorite disciple, he was there. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. This, Peter's an amazing guy, right? You know, and, and at one point in the Bible, I don't know if you know this story, but he pulled a sword out and he chopped a guy's ear off. Yeah, I say, why'd you miss, bro? Like you missed the head, right? Like you got to work on those sword skills. I think that if Jesus was walking the earth today, he would conceal carry a gun under his robe, honestly. 
I have no theological basis for that statement. I just think guns are cool and Jesus is cool, so the two and two go together. I, actually, I'm kidding. I'm very pro-gun control. Yeah, if you, if you mess with my family, I have guns and I will control you with them. So <laughs> it's that kind of church. I'm not even ashamed of it. We're in East Mesa. We love guns. See, but Jesus was not advocating violence. He was not encouraging his disciples, his followers to be violent. When he talks about the sword, it was a representative statement. The sword represents, obviously, division, strife, conflict, and that's what Jesus was talking about. Now, some religions are violent. We see a lot of violence coming out of uh, the Muslim faith. And maybe you've heard this on the news. People will say, well, Islam is a peaceful religion. And I would say, honestly, that when you study it, I can confidently tell you it's not. And in fact, Pew Research Company, they did a, a study in 2011, and they surveyed Muslims in America and in the Middle East and Europe. And they asked them, in what circumstances, if ever, is it justifiable to use suicide bombing against civilians? Is it justifiable? And 8 to 15% said it is justifiable to use suicide bombings against civilians to protect the interests of Islam. Now, I know that some people would say, well, that's, that's not the majority. The majority is peaceful. I'm, I'm like, yeah, you're right. The majority is peaceful the same way that if you play Russian roulette, it's basically okay until it's not, Right? I, and there's 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, so if 8 to 15% are violent, then that's only like 200 million. Now, that's a serious problem, right? And we know that that's something we have to watch out for, but how do we deal with that problem? The only thing that truly changes people is that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And many, many Muslims are coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's incredible what's happening in the Middle East. A sword that Jesus was talking about, it divides. It divides. And Jesus was basically saying, I came not to bring peace, but to divide. Jesus, he creates the strongest bonds possible, but he also divides the strongest bonds in our, in our universe, in our society. Look at verse 35. He describes that. He said, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, that last part makes sense, obviously, but... Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. No human bond is stronger than the bond of family, is it? We love our families. They're related to you. They share your blood. They share your home. And friends will come and go, but family is forever. I know a lot of people say best friends forever, but what they really mean is best friends until our friendship falls apart. <laughs> but family, family is forever. Even if you had a bad dad, he's still your dad, right? You can't just get rid of him and have a different dad. Family sticks. That's why it's so painful when families fall apart and break down because that's not what, what God intended. Family is meant to, to last. And so I asked you in this series, would you lose your life for Jesus it's a very challenging and difficult question. I also asked one week, would you lose your life savings for Jesus? It's another challenging question. Tonight I want to ask you this. Would you lose your family 
for Jesus if it came to that. Now, the goal is not that that would happen. We hope that that would not be the reality for you, but it is the reality for a lot of people. Where we live in the country, um, there's a lot of people. There are people in our church who grew up Mormon and they came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and their family ostracized them and rejected them and they still don't have a relationship. So this is a reality for people today in our country. Or there's a, a guy named Nabil Qureshi who was raised in a Muslim home, a very loving home as he describes it. And he was studying the word of God, the Bible, in an effort to defend Islam and disprove Christianity. And oops, he accidentally realized that Jesus really is the son of God. He got saved, he gave his life to Christ and his family, they rejected him, they pushed him out and he still doesn't have a relationship with him. But Nabil, he goes around America with Ravi Zacharias and he teaches about how Jesus is the Messiah. It's crazy to think about having your bond severed with family, but it would have been even crazier back in Jesus's day. In the first century, family bonds were, if it's possible, even stronger than they are today. You would have been so loyal to your family. You would have relied on them for all of your provision and protection and your bond to your father. It would have been the highest loyalty that you would have felt in your life. But look at verse 35 that we read in that chapter. It says that he will divide and set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Notice the direction of hostility is from the younger to the older. Have you seen that? And isn't that how it usually goes? That the younger pushes against the older and they reject, they scoff and they say, oh, you're so old fashioned. Those ideas are so bigoted and, and old and those are things of the past. We're past that. We're more tolerant now. We're more open-minded. And then also notice what direction we see a lot of misplaced devotion. He talks about if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And we see that problem too in our society. Parents who, if we're being honest, even though they're believers, they're Christians, if they're being honest, they love their kids. They're more devoted to their kids than they are to their Savior. The family is bound by affection. Jesus, he told us in Scripture, we studied this last week from Pastor Amy, who just crushed it up here. Yeah, we can. Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. There you go. Thank you. That's my wife. Jesus said, love your enemies. But notice he never said, love your family. That's because it's natural to love your family. It's just assumed that you'll love your family. And God, he loves the family unit. He established it when he created the first family. He married Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That was the first family and the establishment of the family institution. There are 9,000 allusions to the family unit in the Bible. God describes himself as our father. And he describes Jesus as his son. And he talks about us as his children. So God, he really cares about the family. And Jesus is not saying that you should love your family less, but that your love for him should be even greater. That he should be your first love. There will always be people who don't approve of your decision to put God first and love Jesus more. And, and sometimes the people that don't approve of that will be in your own family. 
Some of you know what it's like to have family members who laugh at you because of your faith or they scoff because you go to church. Jesus knew what it was like to have family problems. Even Jesus knew. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. They're talking about Jesus. They said, he's out of his mind. I mean, even Jesus Christ, the son of God, he came to the earth trying to save the world. His own family wouldn't support him. Isn't that the worst? When you're doing something difficult and you need support, your own family won't support you. It's like, man, I need to count on you if I can count on anyone. Here's Jesus having, having family problems. Anytime you try to do the will of God, there will be people who oppose you. Some of you know what that's like. You, you know what it's like to have fights in your family because maybe you follow Jesus, but your spouse doesn't. Maybe you do, but your kids don't, and you're worried about them, and, and you want them to be okay, and, and you wonder what's going to happen to them, and that'll keep you up at night. It keeps a lot of moms up at night, a lot of dads up at night. What's going to happen to my kids? Or maybe it's your parents, and you, you want them to know Jesus the way that, that you do. So I want to talk about how to win your family for Jesus. Because do you know that God wants to use you to help win your family for Jesus? He does. He wants your family to know the same love that you've experienced. And so here's some tips for you that will help you. First, be yourself. God created you the way that you are, and he wants to use you to use your family, to raise your family. So maybe God created you with just a very scholastic mind. If he made you that way, then, then share the interesting studies that you have, have done with your family. If he's not really made you that way, then, then you don't have to be that way. But be yourself. That's what's most important. I mean, if, if you're you know, a, a fun-loving guy, don't think that because you became a Christian, now all of a sudden you have to be all serious and everywhere you go, it has to be like, oh. Ryan, do you want to go get something to eat? Let me pray about it first. <laughs> right? Like, who does that? And your family's going, we know you. Right? You don't want to be fake. That also means you don't need to pretend that you're happy just because you're a Christian. That sometimes you're going to feel upbeat and happy, and sometimes you're going to struggle, and that's okay, but be yourself. Second, live out your faith. Live it out. Show people what it's like to experience the love of God by loving them. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. So you can love your family and that will make an incredible impact on them. That's why Jesus told husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church, it says in Ephesians. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, if your spouse doesn't know Christ and you start to love her like Christ loved the church, she is going to be very interested in that. What, what is going on? So live it out. Show them what it looks like. Prioritize being a part of your church and serving and being generous. That'll get some attention. And also live out your faith when you make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Uh, no spoiler alert there, I think, right? Like we all fail at times. And our relationship with Christ started when we recognized our own mistakes, we confessed them, we repented and received God's forgiveness. So you can show that to other people. Even though you're a Christian, maybe they're not. If you make a mistake, if you sin, acknowledge it and repent. Go to your family member and say, hey, I'm sorry, I blew it. It's my fault. It was not right. Please forgive me. Maybe you come from a family where nobody acknowledges when they've made a mistake or when they've done something wrong. I know a lot of families like that where the people get in a fight and they just kind of scatter. They go their own ways and, and they don't talk about it. They come back again together, you know, the next day and they just kind of start to like, hey, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Yeah. Do you, want, you want some help doing the dishes? Yeah. 
You know, it's just like, they don't even talk about the fact they got a huge fight the day before. But if you come and you show people what it looks like to confess and repent of your sins, you're showing them what it looks like to be a Christian. Here's a third thing. Don't nag. I see a lot of people like nudging their, their wives and stuff. Like, ah, don't do it, bro. Don't nag. Don't nag people. That's not a way to get someone to really change their mind. And I know it's tempting you want to get them to come to church with you. You want them to change their ways. But, but nagging is not going to do it. Don't, don't go around pointing fingers and saying, you should. You shouldn't do that. You sh-. That's not going to help. Don't nag. But let me say this. Do ask. Ask, first off, hey, how are you doing? Can I do anything to help you? How can I serve you? And then ask this, hey, I'm going to church tomorrow. Do you want to come with me? I'd love to have you come. See, people invite people to things that are good, don't they? They, sh- they share good things. We, we tell people, hey, man, I saw this movie. It was awesome. You got to check it out. We say, hey, I, I went to this restaurant. It was incredible. You've got to go there. But then all of a sudden in Christians, we get all clammed up and nervous when it comes to inviting people to church, even though it's the one thing that truly matters and changed our lives. Like, oh, man, I really wish they'd go to church with me, but I don't want to, you know, rock the boat. Your family, but hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm going, I'm going to church. What was that? Did you say you're going, where are you going? Generation church. <laughs> like, invite them to come. That's what the disciples did. They went, they went to each other. They said, hey, we found the Messiah. Come and see. This is one of the easiest ways to win your family. Just invite them. And sometimes they might say no, or your friends, you invite them. They might say, they might say no, but that's Okay. Like, you, you, I don't want to make it awkward, right? Why? I love making it awkward. Especially when people's souls are on the line. Let them feel a little uncomfortable, right? Like, you want to come to church with me? Ooh, okay, you know, sweet. Got them. Right where I want them. Just ask, invite them. And then lastly, pray. You've got to pray just to make it today. MC Hammer, thank you for that. Only the Holy Spirit can change someone's heart. You can do everything right, but it takes the Holy Spirit working in someone's heart to truly change. He is the one who can soften a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So you need God's help to reach your family, but pray for them. Don't underestimate the power of your prayers to reach your family. God wants to use you. This passage that we're studying in Matthew 10 shows us that from a human point of view, following Jesus can seem lonely. Not that we are alone, but it can seem lonely. We're never alone as Christians, are we? I mean, look around the room. You've got people who have your back. You're not in this alone. This room is filled with people that will go to battle for you. And some of you are struggling because you have not yet asked for help. And you've got people in this room who are ready to help you. People who are ready to pray for you and support you and help you move. Don't be afraid. Just ask them. That's what they're there for. Maybe some of you, you need to break through and go to the next level in your walk with God. And that means that you need to commit. You need to become a part of your church family instead of just kind of spectating from, you know, the back row. I still love you guys in the back. It's a great seat back there. But you're not alone. And you're not meant to go through life alone. Be in a life group. And you're never alone because as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. When Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone as orphans. I'm, sp- I'm sending the Spirit, the helper. He will be your counselor and your advocate, and he will be your guy. He will lead you into truth. 
So you're never alone, but sometimes it can feel like it. You can feel separated from your family and your friends. And some of you know what that's like. You feel maybe alone in your family, like you're the only believer. That's because Jesus is divisive. When you choose to follow him, some people will celebrate that choice. Some people will respect it. Some people will tolerate it. But some people might hate you for it because Jesus is divisive. So we got to figure out how are we going to live in a world where as we follow Jesus, some people are going to not approve of that decision. Some people are going to say that your ideas are narrow, closed-minded, bigoted, old-fashioned. Some people might attack you or reject you for your faith in Christ. And Jesus is warning us that that's a reality because he wants us to prepare our hearts and choose who we're going to serve. So how are we going to survive in this kind of world? Well, first, here's a statement that we all need to embrace, and this will help you in so many ways. I must let go of the need to be liked by everyone. Man, I know that some of us are people pleasers, and we want to be liked. We're peacemakers. We want to get along. And deep down inside, we all want to be liked, don't we? Even the person that's like, I don't care. We all want to be liked. We want to be the guy that walks in the room and people are like, Stephen's here. Yes. He's so cool. You guys, you got to meet him. He's the best. We all want to be that guy. But some people are not going to like you, are they? Now, as Christians, we don't want to be disliked because of obnoxious behavior. That's not why we want to be disliked. We don't, want it to go to, we don't want to be the people that, you know, have the picket signs and we're like annoying on the street corner. We don't want to be the guy that has the bullhorn that's shouting at someone on the street. Like nobody has ever given their life to Christ because someone yelled in their face with a bullhorn. Am I right? Please say amen right now. Like you, you agree with this. Okay, good. In, in fact, 2 Peter talks about how we should live honorable lives and submit to authority and honor one another, respect people, and so that even unbelievers will look at our lives and say, man, those people are, they're pretty cool. I don't know if I agree with them, but they're great. So we should actually be likable as Christians, but we should not need to be liked in order to be happy and to be at peace. In fact, Galatians 1.10 says, obviously, Paul said, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. This is what Jesus is talking about. I came with the sword to divide. And that's what he did. He divides people. There are people that love him and there are people who hate him. There's not a fence with Jesus to sit on. There's not a neutral status. You are either for him or you are against him. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're gonna become more like him and that's a good thing. You're gonna become more gentle, more loving, more kind and patient and generous, and everyone likes that. But as you become more like Jesus, that's also going to cause some problems for you because Jesus told it like it was. He called people out for being self-righteous. He confronted sin. He flipped the script of society. He loved and honored the poor and the, and the weak, and he po- poked fun at the powerful and the proud. And so he had a lot of enemies, In other words, as you become more like Christ, you're going to have more friends and more enemies. And that's just something you have to accept. I read about a a woman named Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. She was a professor of English at Ohio State University. 
and she was uh, in a lesbian relationship, and she was the LGBT advocate on campus. She would write the policies for the, for the lesbian, gay, transsexual, bi bisexual students to protect them or to protect their interests. And she was actually studying the Bible, researching what the religious right believed, who she thought hated her. And as she studied the Bible in these large sections, she could not help but see that Jesus was the Son of God. And she gave her life to Christ. She accepted Jesus. And what, what happened to her? Her friends rejected her. They said, you, you turned your back on us. You betrayed us. They felt like she stabbed her in the, stabbed him in the back. Her partner left her. And she actually lost her job at the university. She said in her book, I lost everything but the dog, yet gained eternal life in Christ. That's just a possible reality for all of us. Many people oppose Jesus passionately. Just the way that you, as a church, you love and follow Jesus passionately. Yes, there you go. You got it. The 11 o'clock service, it took them a minute today, but you guys are sharp. When you take passionate people that have different points of view and you put them together, there is going to be conflict. So another way you could read Jesus' statement is, I did not come to bring peace to the earth, but conflict. Conflict is inevitable. And you have no idea how often I see people, they want to shy away from conflict at all costs. But here's the next statement I want you to embrace. People pleasing will lower my ceiling of potential. This is true as a follower of Jesus as a leader, and as a parent, it'll lower your potential if you are a people pleaser. And I, I see this happen all the time. I, I see pastors, they know that they need to make changes in their church, but they won't do it because they're afraid. They want to be people pleasers. Well, I can't do that, or our sister Mary will get mad at us, so we can't sing that song. We got we to do this. It's funny, because like every step of the way as I've been the pastor of this church, there's been people who have said, oh, you can't do that. That won't work. If you do that, people will get so mad. And it's like, I am not here to please people, but to win the approval of God, like Paul said. And God blesses that. Pa people pleasing bosses maybe you've had at work, where there's somebody that comes in late to work every day, and you're picking up the slack for him, and you're like telling your boss, hey, man, talk to that guy. And he's like, well, let's just wait and see what happens. You got people pleasing parents, who even though it's their job to raise their kids and discipline them, they'd rather be their kids' friends. Yeah, kids, have some more candy. Oh, she's just tired. No, spank that kid. You know what I'm saying? Your kid doesn't need another friend. He needs a parent. He'll be thankful for it later. We don't want to be people pleasers. And this is especially important for us because when we have family members who are not saved, who don't know Christ, who are dealing with sin in their lives, if you're a people pleaser, what you're going to want to do is compromise on the truth. This happens all the time. Different issues. So you got a Christian, the Bible says something, they got someone in their family that's struggling with it, and what they want to do is try to change what the Bible says about that issue. Whatever it is, maybe it's about sexuality, maybe your kid is sleeping with his girlfriend, and you don't really think it's right, but you don't want to think of him in a bad light. So you're like, does the Bible really say that? Like, does it really? Is it just a mistranslation from the Greek to the English, maybe? It's not. We cannot compromise on the truth or else we will not be able to be what God wants us to be and do what he's called us to do. Pleasing God is more important than unity in your family. It's not always a fun concept, but it's true. P 
People-pleasing is always more comfortable and easier in the short term, but it will hurt you in the long term. Pleasing God can put you in some very uncomfortable situations, but it's always worth it. Jesus, he said, the spirit of truth is coming. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. If you compromise on the truth, you cannot go where the spirit of truth wants to guide you. So when Jesus was saying, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, in verse 37, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you could translate that phrase, you're not worthy of being mine, to really get behind the meaning of what it says, it really is saying, I can't use anyone who loves me less. I can't use you, cannot use you if you're not committed to my truth. We want to be who God calls us to be and do what he's called us to do. We want to grow to become more like Jesus, amen? That's why we're here tonight. We want to grow. But you will limit your potential if you're afraid of conflict. Dr. Samuel Chan, he wrote a book called Leadership Pain, and he said, you'll only grow to the threshold of your pain. In other words, when you go to grow, when you're changing in your life, there's going to be change, and change a lot of times is painful, it's uncomfortable. And so what a lot of people do is they say, well, I'd rather not deal with that discomfort. I don't really want to mix things up. It's good the way it is. And because of that attitude, they can't grow. I want to be able to grow to, to endless heights with the Lord and do what he wants me to do. Amen? That's what we all want. And so in order to do that, we have to accept the fact that at times it will be difficult. It might even be painful. That's why Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. He came to divide. Divide life from death, sin from righteousness, those who are for him from those who are against him. He divides. And he tells us just straight up, I'm dividing. I, that's what, I come with the sword. I divide. He says in verse 38, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. In other words, we have to admit and acknowledge that Jesus does divide. Decide that I'm going with him. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, as the old hymn says. And that means that I might have to be separate from some people. I might have to, to walk away from some relationships, but it's not because I don't want to be in a relationship with those people. It's because I'm committed to being in a relationship with Jesus, the only one who gives true life, the life worth living. And it's worth whatever it takes to follow him. It means we got to take up our cross. If I have to die to my own desires and my own, my own will and my, my sinful nature, I'm going to do that. I'm going to embrace it if, I, if that's what I have to do to, to follow Jesus. Take up your cross and follow him. He says in the message translation, if you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. This is a high stakes life and death game that we're playing. And there will be times where you face conflict or even attack because you've chosen to follow Jesus. He just tells us there's gonna be division. Some people will not accept your choice, but just embrace it, honestly. We gotta embrace this idea that we're going to follow him no matter what it takes. In fact, I read a, an ancient Greek philosopher named Xenophon. He challenged his soldiers, his troops. He said, maintain courage under fire because it's the soldier who's prepared to face death courageously who is least likely to die in battle. And I thought about that, and I thought about this passage. It's the Christian who is willing to give his life for Christ, who is most likely to experience all the blessings that God has. 
So we just got to embrace that idea that my old self is gone. I'm following Jesus. Jesus said, I came, I brought a sword. And when he came and he was talking about a metaphorical, symbolic sword, he wasn't coming to establish war or a kingdom at that time. But we know that at one point he will. When he comes again, he is coming and he's going to destroy his enemies and establish his kingdom on this earth. And so that's why in advance we want to decide, I'm going to be on his team. I want to be on the winning team. I don't want Jesus to return and find myself as his enemy. That will go very bad for you. And the Jews understood this in the Old Testament times. The prophecy in Joel chapter 1 says, The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. It's true that for anyone who's an enemy of God, when Jesus comes back, again, that's the day of the Lord is what the Bible calls it. It is going to be a terrible day for some, but it will be a day of victory for others. And it's up to you to decide what kind of day it's going to be. Is it going to be a terrible day or a great day when Jesus comes back? Jesus said, now I want to clarify something. He said, I did not come to bring peace to the earth. Now, maybe that's confusing to you, and I want you to see this clearly. Maybe you remember the Christmas verse we always read, Luke chapter 2, where it said about the arrival of Jesus the first time. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. But look at this, to those on whom his favor rests. There is peace, but it's for a select group of people. It's for his chosen people. Those on whom his favor rests, another way you could say that is on those who have received his grace, on those who have received his forgiveness, on those who have been redeemed from sin and death and brought into his family as his children. In other words, you as his, as his people, as believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, he did come to bring peace to you. And you're the one who will experience his peace. Jesus does bring peace, but it's a peace that comes through victory over the enemy. There is going to be a war. There is a war. A lot of, we're in the middle of it right now. We're in a war against the enemy of God. We're in a war against sin. And the peace that Jesus brings does not mean that, that we won't face any opposition. I want you to understand this. The peace of God is not an absence of conflict, but victory in conflict. Look what I said. I, I said victory in conflict, not victory after conflict. In other words, you're still going to be in the middle of conflict. Right? A lot of times we are right now in conflict with people, with our family, in our jobs. But we have victory when we know Jesus. Yeah, you might be in the middle of conflict in your family with people who are opposing you. They don't support your decision to follow Christ. But you have victory through Jesus. That means that you can have peace right now in the storm. Amen. That, that's really an important thing to understand that, that the, is, the peace of God is not the absence of conflict. There will be conflict because we're sinful people, but we can have victory in conflict. In our community, there are people that have racial tensions. They don't want to get along with each other. We're not saying that's never going to happen, but we can love one another in spite of that because we're made in the image of God. That's victory in conflict. Victory in your marriage doesn't mean that you're not going to fight, but it means you can persevere through those moments and celebrate your 50th anniversary. Amen? Victory in your soul, it doesn't mean that you're not going to sin and make mistakes and fail. We will. But it means that even when that happens, I am saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, and I have victory in this moment. Come on, would you stand to your feet tonight as we close? We have victory. 
But you have to accept that victory. You have to receive what Jesus offers you, his forgiveness, his love, and his grace. I wanna give you a chance to do that tonight. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute? If you're here tonight and you'd say, I need to take this step of faith. I wanna be on the team that is victorious. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be one of the people on whom his favor rests. You can take that step tonight. The Bible says anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And you can do that tonight. So would you, if you wanna do that, tonight's your night. But let's pray this prayer together. Just say this to God in your own heart. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I've sinned against you, but I believe that you died on the cross to save me and forgive my sins. And I believe that you rose again three days later so I could have victory over sin and death. And now I wanna follow you. Thank you for choosing me, choosing me as your own and saving me from death. Lord, I love you. And I can't wait to follow you for the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I wanna to celebrate with you. I'm just gonna ask you to shoot your hands up on the count of three so we can celebrate with you. One, tonight is your night. Two, God loves you. Three, if that's you, just raise your hand up. That's awesome, man. Come on, let's give God praise. We can have peace in the middle of any storm in our lives. We know that he's in control. Let's sing this out, church. Come on, let's worship the Lord. And cry.